it was just hard. I think I had to go back to Sunday school and I had mm. to go back and figure out what the Bible says because I felt like the verses that I was learning as a kid weren't helping. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus died for this. Like he died for all of this, you mm. know, he died for the suffering, he died for the pain. And I don't think that I had really heard that. Being reminded of the gospel when we are in the midst of suffering is what can truly give us hope. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these Before You Quit podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz. I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Hey, we're going to talk theology today, especially the theology of suffering. And I really believe if the church is ever going to become a healing community, it needs to have a solid theology on suffering. In fact, I would suggest that a pastor who has, or maybe I would insist this, that a pastor who has a theology, a strong theology of suffering that drives his leadership, drives his shepherding, drives his preaching, is a pastor who is preparing his people for times when they will suffer, because they will. But secondly, such a pastor is empowering his people to serve one another when different members are hurting. The church becomes a healing community because the pastor has a solid, strong theology of suffering. Uh, It comes out of a deep commitment in understanding the gospel. Uh, So the church committed to the gospel is a church that will understand the role that suffering has in God's purposes. I have the privilege today to talk to someone who could not have survived deep suffering had it not been for a deep understanding uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, she talks a lot about the gospel. She talks about how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was her lifeline as she and her husband, Michael, went through uh, unbelievable hardship. Uh, My guest today is Michelle Bates, who in a span of several years experienced a lot of loss and hardship in their family. Uh, She wrote a book that I read recently. In fact, our interview is really based on the book. It's called Beyond the Shadow, How Suffering Led Me to the Deep End of Grace. It's an excellent book and, uh, again, something that we will be referencing quite a bit during this interview. Michael and Michelle and their three children live in, of all places, Humansville, Missouri. She tells me there are a lot of humans there. And uh, they, they run an inn as well. Uh, she jokes that it's called the Bates Motel. Uh, but anyway, let's go ahead and jump into that conversation right now. Okay, I have the privilege today to be talking to Michelle Bates in Missouri. Michelle, tell me the town that you live in and, and tell it, say it exactly how you said it to me when you told me where you live. We live in Humansville. Yeah, and so and I, when you mentioned that, I said you you say it very apologetically. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's a it's a very worldly place, is it? <laughs> well, there are humans here. That well, so. that's uh that's that's good to know. What's the population yeah. there? Is it small? It's one thousand forty-five people. Oh my! So, mm-hmm. Wow, so it's a they, bit of like a radiator spring. So they yeah. moved the freeway. Um, out of town. So mm-hmm. the last several 10, 15, 20 years has been hard on it. We own an inn. It's yeah. An inn yeah. What, what is that? Just real quickly, what, do you, what, is, what is that about? What do you do? How is it used? Um, it's called the Barnwood Inn. We have eight rooms. So mm-hmm. um, we have people who come for, there's an arena in town. And so they come for rodeos. There's um, Southwest Baptist University is about 12 miles south of us, mm. so we get parents and get students, and um, and Lucas Oil isn't too far from here, so okay. summertime and fall and spring and stuff are busy. Okay, awesome. You know, this time of year, so. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, you have you have an amazing story, and it's a it's a recent story. It's a fresh story. You wrote a book as well that I just finished reading, and very well written, very gripping. And we're, we want to talk today, really the goal here for this podcast is to, uh, I mean, I know it's going to help us in talking about this, but uh, really to help the church to have a good theology of suffering. And I was thinking before I called you that there's, there's probably three reasons we want to do this. We want to prepare people for 
for suffering because they will. And secondly, we want to empower people to, uh, to be healers, to be proactive in, in reaching out to people so they, they're not ignored when they're going through this. Uh, but the third piece, which is going to come up a lot, is, is to understand the role of the gospel in, uh, in recovering from suffering, going through suffering, understanding suffering. Uh, so let, let's, uh, let's start with this. Just um, you know, tell us about yourself, uh, your journey, how you ended up where you are now, and then we'll, we'll get into the title of your book, and I'll ask you why you wrote it. <laughs> yeah, um, I grew up in the church. My parents are Christians. My grandparents are Christians. Um, on both sides of my family. And so um, just in going to church, like Sunday school, I mean, I learned about Jesus from a very young age. Mm -hmm. And I believe Jesus. And I became a Christian when I was seven. And um, I was baptized in high school. And I really felt like I was going to be on the mission field. And I went on sev several... Um, missions trips just all over the world in Europe and Central America and my husband had been on missions trips too. I started a Bible club when I was in high school. Um, I attended youth group. I did the whole thing. I went to a Christian college. I lived for a year in Mexico City, worked with some missionaries there. Um, I met a Christian guy and we got married and we ended up uh, we're going to be celebrating 20 years here in May. Uh, but right after two weeks after we got married, we hopped in a motorhome and we traveled around the country for three months and then went back to Massachusetts, got our wedding presents and then moved to Seattle and, um, to go to a church that was there. And so, um, my husband really felt like we had to go to this one particular church. And so we moved and didn't know where it was. Had so no you went idea. all the way to Seattle because to attend a church. Yep. We didn't have jobs. We didn't have anything. We got an apartment online. And 20 mm -hmm. years ago, people didn't really do that yet. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's so, commitment to one particular church to travel yep. that far, to move that far. <laughs> and we ended up moving five blocks away mm -hmm. from the church. We didn't even know that wow. we were that close. Wow. And so, you were the, you were in Seattle how long? We were in Seattle for 14 years. Okay. And so um I really believe that we are in Seattle for uh, a purpose. And um, I don't know if I can totally say what that purpose mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was all the time, except that we built some really strong friendships there. And we just really loved people there. And they really loved us well. Mm -hmm. um, while we were there, we uh, had we had six kids. And so our um, oldest daughter was born. She was a 31 weeker and she was born with Down syndrome. And uh, she, we didn't know it was a complete surprise when she was born. Mm. And um, a month before that, my husband's mom had passed away from a very quick diagnosis mm -hmm. of cancer. Mm. It was just within a few months of her diagnosis and her passing away. Um, but during that time, like that just really started. I guess right after his mom's diagnosis, things kind of started to ramp up for us. And, and with Tully and our daughter Tully being born and stuff, the church and our friends just really started to take care of us and to mm -hmm. serve us. And I mean, meals and helping with remodels and stuff that we were in the middle of and taking care of our older son and all kinds of things. And then 10 months later, uh, I, we had found out that I was pregnant again, but then 10 months later, we were in the hospital again because um, at, 25, at 25 weeks, my water had broken with our second son. Mm. And so um, I ended up being in the hospital for three weeks and my husband and the kids moved in with another family from church so that they could help take care of the kids and Mike could come and visit me and go to work and do all kinds of things. And so um, we we were just seeing like the evidence of God's grace, I think in mm -hmm. our mm -hmm. suffering, but then also like the people, like the people taking care of us. Um, well, uh, with Eli, uh, he was born at 
25 weeks and he ended up passing away the day after he was born. And then again, like the church was just really rallying around us. And, but it was still also a very lonely situation too, Mm. because we had a lot of, we knew people that um, had had miscarriages and stuff. And, um, but it was still, I, I think it was still hard because I mean, it was a loss of a child. And so, yeah. um, and I got pregnant again pretty quickly. And um, so we had Ellison then and um, nine months later. And, um, but she, and she was like a really healing kind of baby for us. And a lot of fear though, like the pregnancy was really hard and trepidation. Mm, sure, sure. That's understandable. Just a lot yeah. of painful. And so I think that just during this time, I was just really thinking, you know, I loved, I love Jesus and we're serving in the church. I marry the Christian guy. I went to a Christian school. I, you know, I did all of this stuff. Like I followed all the rules. I did what the Bible told me to do. And so why is all of this stuff happening? And it was in mm. a really <laughs> short time period. It was all within yeah. that about two years. And so it was just, it was just hard. And I think I had to go back to Sunday school and I had mm. to go back and figure out what the Bible says because I felt like the verses that I was learning as a kid weren't helping. <laughs> and I just had to, you know, go see what the Bible said. And I didn't have a good theology of suffering at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's a lot of what we want to talk about. Yeah. We go through a lot of, we have a lot of assumptions when we are raised mm-hmm. in the church and it is oftentimes in those crucibles when our world is disoriented that uh, we we it unravels, doesn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Well, listen, I don't want, I don't want to interrupt the story, uh, but this will help to set up what really was a, a much more tragic thing that happened in your life. But um, let me just mention the book that you wrote is called Before the Shallow: How Suffering Led Me to the Deep End of Grace. And you, a lot of what you told so beautifully here in just a few minutes, you tell that story again uh, in the book. Uh, but why, why, did you, why did you write the book? What led you to write it? Well, um, as I started kind of forming a new theology of suffering, mm-hmm. I had just started writing down things and just started writing down musings. And I had started a blog and um, I would just kind of write random things. And um, I got pregnant again. Uh, with number six and uh, we had him we had Boston and um, we ended up leaving Seattle and coming to Missouri and so after we bought the inn um, we had been here for about six months and there was um, an accident in our parking lot and uh, Boston was struck and Jesus took him home Mm. and so we after that my husband and some other friends said, you need to keep writing. Like you just need to Mm. keep writing down whatever your thoughts are. And it just kind of all just came together. It just seemed a good time to things just started to fall into process. Yeah. And and that's, that's recent. That was only what, three years ago that Austin died four years Mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. So writing uh, certainly, was helpful for you to process this. It's part of grieving too, isn't it? I mean, not everybody grieves that way. Not everyone processes the, the pain that way. Uh, but it's, um, you know, I know, uh, in, in my story, four years is still very recent, you know, it's still very fresh. Uh, but I'm glad you read the, you wrote the book. Uh, You, in fact, the story of Boston is later in the book and I wrote you, uh, when I got to that chapter that it, it was a sh- kind of a shocker. I mean, I knew uh, we had talked once before, so I knew that uh, you had lost a son uh, to an accident, but um, yeah, it was just, it was just very moving. Um, you know, it's just uh, a, a tragic thing that uh, we have a hard time understanding, uh, you know, but you, um, you one of the things we want to talk a little bit about some of the core things that, uh, were significant to you as, as you developed a, a, a better theology or, or an accurate theology. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like R.C. Sproul says, you know, everyone, everyone has a theology. It's either a good theology or a bad theology. You know, everyone has a theology. Everyone has a view of God. It's either right or it's wrong, you know. 
And uh, it, it is interesting how suffering kind of, uh, you know, aligns things. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if we're being obedient and we're understanding that God's sovereign, which is a huge piece of, uh, of my theology, um, you know, our story somewhat settles into that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you spent, and it's really well done the way you did this, you, you spent, I think, five chapters challenging some of the common assumptions um, about suffering. And, um, and, and some of those are commonly held verses that are out of context that sometimes people will use to offer comfort. Um, let me just, I'll just mention the word or the phrase, and, and maybe if you could just give a quick response to each. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I interviewed someone once and I kept asking questions about their book and he said, you know, it's been a long time since I've read the book, so I don't remember what I said. <laughs> I remember. I looked through it. <laughs> okay, good. So you, you use the term Christian karma. What do you mean by that? Well, I really feel like uh, we as Christians, and I think that we also hear it a lot from the church, um, especially from some popular speakers, we hear, if you do this, you're mm. going to get this in return. So if you love your neighbor, if you obey my commands, you're going to be blessed. And then your blessings are going to be either things, stuff, health, houses, cars, money, whatever it may be. Right. So if we do this, we're going to have a good life. If we obey Jesus, if we obey all the commands, you're going to have a good life and it will be, you'll be happy. And I just, so I think that I heard a lot of that at church and in Sunday school and even in college. I mean, we would hear like, do these things and this is how it's going to turn out for you. And, but we can't predict that. We can't predict that things are going to be great. And, yeah, and, a, and a piece, a piece of that, that's not, that's probably a little more subtle. And, and this comes out of uh, yours and my having emerged out of Christian college and you know, uh, maybe wondering if, if God is leading us towards, you know, full-time vocational ministry, that if we, if we do that, then he will take really good care of us. You know, if yeah. we, if we obey him with, to the call, then he will take really good care of us. And it yeah. doesn't work yeah. that way. Well, we'll, we'll react to each of these some in, in the rest of the conversation here, but let's just go through each one. Second was God won't give you more than you can handle. <laughs> Yeah. The common one. Um, people, yeah. People take it's first Corinthians 13, 11, where people, mm-hmm. where Paul is talking about temptations and idolatry and everything else. And he says, um, he, you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear or beyond what you can handle, which is true. You're mm-hmm. not going to be tempted beyond what you can handle because Jesus is there. And all you have to do is cry out to him and ask him to help you with this particular temptation. But and it has nothing to do with suffering. It has it? nothing <laughs> to do with suffering. Yeah. And so, and I really Which is feel how it's like commonly used. And people would say, but God won't give you more than you can handle. And I believe that. Mm. <laughs> and so then I think there's also a different perspective that if we believe that, that God isn't going to give me more than I can handle, then all these things that are happening to us, that when somehow we have to be the superhumans that have to be able to handle it. Yeah. 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 I love, I love when Paul, the apostle Paul gives his, his litany of uh, experience. I was reading again this morning in second Corinthians, I, I think 12 or 13. And I mean, good night. He was like Indiana Jones and just listed yeah. one thing after the other. And he was letting the Corinthian church know that, uh, uh, hey, I've got credibility here. I've got street cred. Um, but, um, and it's not there, it's elsewhere that he, he says he, he despaired even of life itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we've been there. A lot of people have been there where it's almost unbearable. I can barely stand this. Yep. Um, and uh, so when you get this, this uh, message that you won't, God won't put on you more than you can handle, uh, then suddenly your reaction is, well, then there's something horribly wrong with my faith or something horribly wrong with my trust in God. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a, you, you did a great job putting that into perspective. And again, we'll come back to that. Um, in some way, we'll come back to that. The, the other one is, this is kind of a reverse karma thing, maybe bad karma. You get what you deserve. Yeah. Um, I talked about um, in John 16, when um, Jesus is he heals a blind man. There's several 
instances in the gospels where Jesus heals a blind man. But in this one in particular, Mm -hmm. um, his disciples are kind of the ones that start pointing the finger. And if I were Jesus, I'd be embarrassed by them, but um, pointing the finger and saying, Hey, like, didn't he get what he deserved or Mm -hmm. look at what his, didn't what did his parents do is what the disciples ended up saying. What did his parents do to, to deserve a son like that? And what did, what's Jesus's response? Jesus is, Jesus is like, well, they didn't do anything. Like they were just born, (laughs) you know, they Mm -hmm. were just, they're just humans. And so, and then everything is for God's glory. Like everything that happens is for his glory. Yeah. Um, And I don't say that tritely because I think it's a very, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute because that was that was really powerful. Word. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was really powerful for you with uh, uh, with your daughter with Down syndrome. Um, but I also think that real quickly, I also think that many yeah. times with um, that we will look at people who are suffering or um, or something will be happening to us. Like, what did we do to mm-hmm. deserve yeah. this? Like, yeah. we'll look at somebody like, let's say it was drugs or whatever. You can, I mean, sometimes you can be like, well, we need to still take care of, you know, the things that we do. Sometimes we have to live with the consequences, but it's not, you're not always suffering because you did something. Simply yeah, yeah, because yeah. we're living in a fallen world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone came to me after my son died and they, and they, it was a good friend. And I think, they they trusted me or I trusted them to ask the question. They they said, have you ever thought that this happened because of any sin in your life? And I said, well, if, if that's the case, God had a table full to pick from. I mean, uh, For all you know, of us. <laughs> yeah, but maybe, but I don't think so. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I certainly am not going to run with that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, particularly things that are out of your control, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, good. Okay, we'll come back to that, too. Um, the other one is the real common one from Jeremiah 29, right? For I know the plans that I have for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and plans to prosper you and not mm-hmm. to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, which I really believe those words, and I think that they're amazing words. But when we're looking at the whole context of that verse, Jeremiah is talking to Israel, and Israel is just, bound in slavery and they're mm-hmm. they're they are paying the consequences for their sin that God had told them was going to happen to them but God wasn't saying like the hope in the future like like what is the hope in the future the hope in the future is Jesus the hope in the future is i mean it didn't mean that he was going to be changing their situation around really quick it didn't mean that they were going to have the great car and the big house and go right back and be prosperous. It was, I mean, God is saying, don't forget, like I am sending Jesus and sending a rescuer for you. Yeah. 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 It's our, it's our ultimate hope, but it's also hope that carries us through Mm -hmm. uh, suffering, isn't it? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, that, that promise means the most when you're hurting, which Israel was, they were in in captivity when, when that was uh, given to them. Uh, We tend to take it as a way to avoid suffering that God will not put anything on you. He promises to prosper you and take care of you. But no, it's meant to, it's meant to have the greatest impact and meaning in times of, of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, it's good that you actually use that verse to people when they're hurting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the other one is, all yeah. the other ones around it too. Sure. <laughs> to say, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh, one guy I listen to a lot of podcasts, he, he says the three rules of biblical hermeneutics are context, context, context. Yeah, you got to read the context. Yeah. All right, the other one is vending machine God. What uh, what do you, what do you have in mind there? Um, I really believe in praying, and we need to pray to God and ask for think wisdom and mm-hmm. maybe the different things where we feel like He needs to intervene, where He is always intervening. But um, but God is also not a vending machine. He is not something where we can go and demand that he takes care of things and Mm -hmm. the way that we want them to be taken care of because we are not sovereign and he is sovereign and he is the one who, um, you know, he holds the world in his hand. And so I just really feel like there are many times when we are going to prayer and we are 
saying, here, God, if I give you this, you can give me this. Like, I'm going to give you that $1.25 for the candy bar that I want, and you're going to give it back to me and whatever. And he's, he's not a vending machine. We can't demand things of him. We can ask, um, but he has already, he, he has already sent his son. He has taken control of the world and he has taken control of us. We have enough. I mean, we do through his son, we have enough. And I just really feel like there were just several times where I would listen to things where people would say, um, this baby was healed because we prayed. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, mm-hmm. well, I, I prayed, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what about me? Like, what yeah. about us? Yeah. So um, I just really think that we really need to understand like the purpose of prayer, which I don't completely understand really all the time. I still struggle, but um, I also just also recognize that he is sovereign and he knows the plan you know, from beginning to end. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that's very, that's very honest. Um, well, we'll, uh, the, the next uh, part of our conversation here will in, in some way circle back on some of these, maybe not so directly. Uh, but again, I would really encourage people to read, uh, buy the book and read it. It's just, uh, it's, it's really good. I think it's a great resource for helping a church, small group or whatever to develop a really solid theology of suffering. Uh, people need this. They, they really do. Um, you, you, the first time we talked, we, we were on a conference call with uh, some, we're collaborating together with some other people and uh, um, uh, an event happening in, in Latin America or South America. Where is it? Um, so somewhere out there. Um, somewhere. But you, uh, you very quickly started talking about the, the impact that the gospel has had on your life. You're, you've al- already alluded it to, uh, to it a couple times here. Uh, you talk a lot about the suffering of Jesus as your lifeline. It's, uh, it, it put things in perspective for you. The question I have here is, how, how did you come to that place? Was, was it something that was just so, I, you, you did give a hint that it wasn't, but maybe reflect more on this. Was it something foundational in your life before you suffered, before you faced hardship? Or is it something that you just, it was more your go-to, uh, reflect, reflect on that a little bit. Cause I find that fascinating. It was also something that was really integral in my life. And I shared with you before we recorded that I don't hear this a lot, you know, and it's, it's frustrating to me. And I think we need to talk more about the gospel. We do. We need to talk more about the gospel. It's like my favorite thing to talk about. Um, but I can say, I, really feel like growing up and even in college, I believed in Jesus. I wanted to share the gospel with people. That was something that I wanted. I wanted other people to come to know Jesus. I like, that was something that I really felt like I wanted, but I, but also in saying that I wanted it so that maybe I could get into good graces, you Mm. know, like, because that was what was, you know, like what you had said earlier about going to the mission field and things are going to be great and you'll win people at Jesus and like, you know, you'll get like your extra jewels in your crown and stuff. So I really feel like my understanding of the gospel was do this because it's the right thing to do. You know, like it, like it was, it was kind of like, well, it's, it's true, but I can't say at the time that I had a lot of foundation, I think. So I really think that it was when my husband's mom passed away and then Telly was born a month later and the NICU and, and then with Eli getting pregnant so, so quickly with Eli and, um, and then him going home the day after he was born and everything involved with that. But then also even the pregnancy with Ellison, like that was, I mean, it was hard. I mean, I had already, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like number four in four years. So, I mean, and not even like normal pregnancies with the last two. So I really feel like um, it was just a really difficult pregnancy. And it was just, I had come to a place where I was like, I believed this, I obeyed and, or I felt like I had obeyed, Mm -hmm. which I I can't, right. (laughs) I can't Mm -hmm. do it perfectly in my own, in my own, but um, just feeling like I had followed all the rules and, and I just really, I, I did like, I went back to the kitchen table and I just started opening up my Bible and I started listening to other speakers. And, um, 
uh, Elise Fitzpatrick would come to our church for women's events and I would go up there and I would sit in the back and I would just listen to her. I would just listen to her talk. And, um, and one of the things about that was that like, she was telling me, she was, she was telling the gospel in a way. And I think even in Seattle, like I was hearing at the church that we were going to, I was hearing the gospel in like a different way than what I had heard. Like Jesus came, he lived perfectly for you. He died for you. And I think it just became very personal that, um, that it, it wasn't as detached. It was something, Mm. I mean, we would say terms like the scars on his back, like each lashing, he was thinking about Michelle each, Mm -hmm. each time the nail went into his hand, he was thinking about Mitch, you know? And I think Mm. that that was just really, that just became very personal to me and just, and I was like, Jesus died for this. Like he died for all of this, you Mm. know, he died for the suffering. He died for the pain. And I don't think that I had really heard that Mm. before. Yeah. 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 It's a, so for some people it might seem like a disconnect to say, Hey, when you're going through a really horrible thing, maybe even a light thing, but it's, it's heavy on you think gospel, uh, you know, I mean, but, but for me, when the most refreshing renewing times for me, when we were grieving was when I heard just the simple message of the gospel that Jesus came, uh, died for, took the wrath on himself. That was meant for me. Uh, it has a way of just putting in, putting in perspective. And if there's a disconnect, I would just tell people, just try it. You know, if someone's hurting, just remind them of the gospel, you'll see what it'll do to them. If you're going through something, just, have someone, I love what you, you wrote on, uh, you said, I've called or texted friends and asked them to tell me the gospel to remind me of the truth because I have felt like I had forgotten it. Uh, mm-hmm. So w- what is it? I mean, maybe, maybe uh, dig a little deeper here with this. What is it about the gospel that does this for us when we suffer? I really believe, and I have learned that being reminded of the gospel when we are in the midst of suffering is what can truly give us hope. Mm. I mean, it can true. It is what is truly can give us hope to wake up for the next day. You know, it is by God's grace that we wake up each day. It is by God's grace that we are breathing in and out. And it is the gospel of Jesus that he walked perfectly. He was born I mean, he, and he walked perfectly and he lived perfectly and he even died perfectly and conquered the grave, that it is the only thing that, especially for those of us who have uh, lost children or loved ones or have the diagnosis that we didn't expect or sick or anything, like we need to be reminded that Jesus died for this. Maybe a way to understand the power of it is imagine or even know people who are not believers, who don't trust Christ, when they go through a tragedy, where do they go? You know, that that's where we would be had Christ not done what he had done. And I love your reference to hope, because I think that's really at the heart of this, that he, he gives us hope. He gives us courage to go through it. And he's with us. I mean, that's also a big part of it. He, he's a God of all comfort. He's there to comfort mm-hmm. us so that we can comfort others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's, a, that's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, reminder that the the gospel is is probably the greatest encouragement that we have um you speak about the blind man who we we talked about that earlier who was blind for the glory of god um and that was important especially when your daughter uh, tuli had down syndrome talk a little bit about the impact that that had on you telly a telly being <laughs> telly was a 31 weeker so when she was born we already knew that she'd be in the nicu for a while and mm. Bef- as they were cleaning her up and stuff, I saw her for a second and then my husband went up there with her and uh, he came back and told me that she had all the physical markers of Down syndrome and stuff. Mm. There was a common thread that I was hearing from some people that they would say, oh, well, um, she's going to be, she was born for the glory of God and she was like, and she'll be used for the glory of God. And so and I, and it just kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way where, yes, she so is. So people would say that to you. Yeah, and, but it was like specific towards her. And sometimes I would think, well, what about my other children? Like, mm. 
Like, are they not going to be used for his glory because she doesn't, because mm-hmm. they don't have Down syndrome or yeah. whatever. And I just thought it was just a little funny. And, um, and I really feel like through Telly, yes, she's going to be used for the glory of God, but so am I. And so are you. And mm-hmm. so are my other children. And so are the lives of all of my children. Like they're all being used for his glory. Um, everything that happens is used for his glory. And so, and I really just feel like um, we'll kind of mention that sort of tritely. And I, I can't remember if I actually said it in the book or not, but like sometimes we'll just kind of like, like piper our way out of it. You know, we'll just be like, Oh, it's for God's glory. And we'll just kind of throw, (laughs) throw our hands up and almost use it as an excuse. But that's not, that's not how Jesus intended it when he healed that blind man. Like he told, he told um, his disciples, he said he was born for my glory, just like his disciples were born for his glory, because what were they going to do? They were going to go and advance the gospel. That blind man, he didn't even know it. He went out and, and he didn't have any plans that day, you know, but Jesus healed him. And then what did he do? He went out and he started talking about Jesus and advancing the gospel. And so, and I just really feel like, we're all used for his glory. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how we're born, the things that happen or anything. I mean, Tully, I mean, definitely. I mean, she's just like a little glory of God walking around everywhere mm-hmm. because she's mm-hmm. so nice. But um, the kids were talking about that the other day. They're like, yeah, wow. Tully's always nice. So, yeah. Wow. How so old is she? She's 14. 14. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. And also we tend to think that it was the healing that was the sort of the epicenter the focal point of that you know that god's gonna be glorified because of this moment right now but i think christ is also referring to the decades that he had been blind at that time of of not being useful not feeling yeah. of value was for the glory of god you uh transition a little bit here you you gain a lot of strength drew a lot of strength from the laments in the scripture, you talk about Jeremiah, you talk about Job, obviously the Psalms are full of laments. And uh, I love what you write. You said, I can get behind a prophet like this. He wept for his people. He cried out to God to save them. And he believed God's word when God said he was going to save them. But God never said, I'm going to save you from your uncomfortableness so that you feel good. He said, I will, I will be with you in this mess expand on that a little bit and and a part of maybe part of your answer uh could be how how can the church do better at lamenting with people or even one of my soapboxes that people listening to this podcast are probably a little tired of is that we we tend to design our services to be upbeat and happy and we don't leave room for lament we don't leave room for sad people to come and to feel like this is a place for them as well. You know, we mm-hmm. tend to say, hey, how many people are happy here? Raise your hand. It's like, no, I'm not. Uh, again, I've really been, I've, I think the last four or five podcasts, pe- people have heard me say the same thing. Well, uh, I'm not going to raise my hand. I'll sit back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I really believe that lamenting is, I, I think it's okay to be sad. I think it's okay to be, um, my husband and I were talking the other day that I think it's okay to be melancholy. I mean, I think that it's also, I mean, it can, you know, I mean, we need some joy and stuff, but I think that joy also comes in lamenting too, because we need to remember what Jesus has done, but we also need to remember um, like that Jeremiah 29, 11, what I was referencing to there, but um God was telling Israel, I'm going to be with you in this mess. And he's also telling us that too. He's like, I'm going to be with you in this mess. And Paul talks so many times about how when we don't have any words, like the Holy Spirit will groan for us and that are too deep, Mm. you know? And so, and I don't feel like um, the Bible shies away from lamenting at all. I mean, there's almost all the prophets and David and even Solomon too, like they just struggle, you know, they're, they're just, but, but what are they constantly remembering? You know, they'll, they'll lament and they'll, 
they're going to say, oh, there's so many people around me or my fears are so many or they're all after me and I'm going to go kill them all. But then what, what do they keep coming back to? I think that's the biggest part of lamenting. They keep coming back to the hope of Jesus. They're yeah. always saying yeah. steadfast love endures forever. Yeah. Like yeah. you are my sure foundation. Um, my hope lies in you, you know? And so I just really feel like that lamenting is not a bad thing. And I think that the church can benefit from going through the Psalms and looking at these characters in the Bible where we put them up on this pedestal saying, oh, be like David, be like Elijah, be Mm. like, you know, be like Noah, be like Abraham, where these guys really struggled a lot. I mean, (laughs) I mean, if anybody had PTSD, I mean, Noah had to have and David and, you know, like they really dealt with a lot of stuff. And but they would just really, you know, just kind of hunker down and they would cry and they would cry out to God and they would cry out for help. But always at the end of that, if you look at all those chapters at the end of that, what are they saying? Your steadfast love endures forever. Yeah. My hope yeah. lies in you. And, yeah. and I think that it's a preface. I mean, it's, it's the gospel. It's, yeah. you know, it, this is hard. And Jesus didn't shy away from that either. Like he would lament over Israel and in Gethsemane, like he was crying and, you know? Yeah, I think of Psalm 13 where David talks about God being so far away and where is he? And uh, he groans and he feels that God's so far away, but then he says, I will trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice in your salvation, which again is a reminder of the gospel. Yeah, lamenting leads to the gospel, doesn't it? In a, in a far it better does. way. My wife talks a lot about with all her struggles that she's gone through that it, it's off. It's not happy. None of it's been happy, but there's a joy there. And and the joy is that this is, you know, t- two things. God's carried us through this. He's been faithful, but it's not always going to be this way. You know, there's, there's going to be a day we're not going to wake up with a heavy heart. You know, there's a day where we're not going to grieve every time we think of our sons that have passed away. You know, there's not going to be, there's going to be a day where we're not going to uh, you know, long for things to be better because they're going to be best finally, yes. you know? So, and it takes lamenting. It takes realism that this mm-hmm. lot is hard. You know, this, this life can be difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. But they, you know, they, the, the payoff, the, the irony maybe in a sense is it does lift us emotionally, you know, it, mm-hmm. and it does give a, a level of happiness to us. It does, but uh, this isn't it. Yeah, you yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you, uh, it was really moving to, and the, the counseling that I do, I, I try to talk to couples, especially when they've had crises. And it, it comes out of you talking about you and your husband being unable to really comfort each other, you know, at the, at the worst moments. And um, I refer this as trying to trade raw emotions with each other. It's just, you can't, you know, you, if, I, if I shared with my wife how I was feeling, it just make her feel raw. And then she'd share with me, it'd make her, make me feel raw. And uh, mm-hmm. so the, the, the question here is where, where does the, church fit into that? Uh, how, how does the church pick up the slack when people are hurting so much that they can't even encourage one another? I think there was at one point, um, it had been a couple of years, I think, since Eli had passed away. Mike was, Mike told me, he goes, you just need somebody. Like you need one person, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, just one person that he trusted. Yeah. And then one person that That's I trusted good. that he knew. That. He, he was like, he was like, you can talk to this person about anything. He's like about anything, like somebody that he trusted and we knew the family and stuff. And he knew her husband and stuff where it's like, we knew that like they would go back and talk to one another, you know, after we shared, but, um, but he was like, you can talk to that one person and that's the person that you can bounce off of and, you know, and say whatever it is that you want. And I don't talk to her very often all the time, but when we do, I mean, still, even now it's been years and we used to go and we used to meet up for coffee once a month or so, and we would just Mm -hmm. talk. And I think that that was really beneficial. And actually there's actually one little story. It's not in the book, but it had been like a rough day parenting. I think the kids were little and you you know, you have those days where it's just like, like nothing went right. Mm -hmm. Like from time you woke up to when you went to bed. And so I had, um, we were getting ready for bed. And I told Mike, I was like, it's like, I am such a failure. He's like, it was terrible. I was such a failure. It was an awful day. And I was going on and on. And he goes, yeah, he goes, he goes, you're right. 
you are a failure. <laughs> He's like, aren't you just so grateful that you have Jesus? Mm-hmm. And I was really mad, you nice. know, because what I wanted was like a, yeah. a girl, you're not, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It'll be better mm-hmm. in the morning. So the next morning I went and I emailed this friend and, and I said, I'm such a failure. And this is what Mike said. And I was mm-hmm. really upset. And her response, she goes, oh, what a wonderful and kind and loving husband that you have to send you to Jesus. And I'm like, ah, nice. <laughs> None of you you are good people. (laughs) That is really, that is really I wanted her to like be on my side, you know? (laughs) Yeah. She was like, no, what you need is Jesus. Yeah, and and maybe maybe something a church can do. I I did this when I pastored um, pretty regularly. I would have people designated to be that person, you know, and and knowing, because I I knew it was was the last church I pastored was rather large. So I knew the chances of, of people going through things was high. And as I'd get to know people and just in a conversation, I would say, hey, would you would you be available if anybody ever needs to process divorce or process loss of, or losing a spouse or a child? And and um, and then that way, when it happens, you've got someone you can easily uh, refer them to. And that's that, that's a way I think a church can can be intentional in this. And I also think it's for the long haul. Like we can't go into this thinking like, oh, I'm going to go walk next to this person for a few weeks while they're going through this divorce. That divorce is like, it's a long time. You know, I'm going to go help this person because they've had a miscarriage and I'm going to be there for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a short stint. And I think that's one of my biggest things. It's not a short little race. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon and the marathon can last years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Jay Adams calls that uh, total involvement that once you, mm-hmm. and, and by the way, it's one of the reasons why sometimes people are reticent to uh, visit someone in their home um, or call them and ask them how they're doing. And I'm just saying this from experience as well, uh, my own life, but also observing many other people that once, once you open that door, you know, you feel like you've got to be committed. But again, if this comes out of a theology of suffering, uh, again, it, it leads to certain behavior, a certain uh, philo- it leads to a philosophy of ministry, I think. If, you, if you, yes. the church has a good theology of suffering, uh, it'll lead to a kind of a philosophy of ministry that is positioned, postured well to, to minister to those who are hurting. Yeah, and it's hard to get there. I mean, I had a mm-hmm. lot of people who, you know, it's, it's usually in the beginning. It's like right after the event or something happens it's usually in the beginning where you have people rallying around you. And, you know, there were several people where I was like, yeah, can, can we talk? Like, can we just really talk more often? And I Mm. had a lot of people say, you know, I just don't have the time. I can't do this right now whatever. And that was really hurtful. But I think in hind, it was hurtful at the moment to me because I really felt like, you know, that was going to be my person. But, um, Mm. but in hindsight, I can see that the people that Jesus had put into our Mm. life that had already invested in us and just like our small group, like when we were, none Mm. of us had kids and we were just all still really young and married. And, you know, those are the people that flew out for Boston service. Those were Mm -hmm. the people Mm -hmm. who, when we go to Seattle, we spend time with them. Those are the people who I call on the phone and they tell me the gospel. Those are the people who, You know, so um, I, I, it's hard, you know, we can say, we can say like, how can the church do this better? But we're also working with a whole bunch of sinful people who want to stay home on a Friday night and watch a movie and don't want to, you know, I mean, and, and I'm saying that myself, you know, like I want to stay home rather than, yeah. It's been a long day. And, well, my, you know. it's, it, it's interesting you say that, uh, and I, I agree. Um, I, I think maybe uh, uh, to give some perspective to that, uh, my wife mentioned this about something the other day that, uh, you know, about a situation. Um, I won't go into any details on it, but it's, it's like all, all, all that would really help right now would be just a phone call, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be much. And, um, so the challenge here for leaders in the church is, is to be talking about this. Maybe elders, board members, pastors, and staff is like, how, how are we doing in this area? You know, we're going to have people that are going to have cancer. People are going to lose loved ones. How, how are we doing as a church? And, and I think that one of the simplest things, um, I was talking to some people about 
with some of my kids and stuff. And I was like, I want my kids to flee to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, how we were talking earlier before just about, cause my kids are still suffering and mm-hmm. struggling and stuff and grieving. And I was like, I want my kids to flee to Jesus. Like if you see something happen to them, how can we help our kids flee to Jesus? How can I flee to Jesus or how can we send others to Jesus? Because we don't have all the answers. Like, mm-hmm. and I've told them, I said, even if you just give them like a three by five card with a verse written on it, you know, and just say like, I was praying for you this week. And this is the verse that I read. Like my daughter read Psalm, I think it was 73, 24. She was like, mom, that's a really good verse. And I think that's going to be my verse. Mm -hmm. And I read it in this article and I was like, that's awesome. You know? Mm -hmm. And so just with different people that I think are in my life, like, I'll just say, I don't have any words for the situation that you're in. And I think that sometimes we fill it up with too many of our words. And, you know, if I need somebody, if I want to send somebody to Jesus, what is the best way to do that? I mean, the best way to do that is to say, here, here's a verse. Mm -hmm. Take this verse. And I don't know why you need this one today, but, Mm. you know, I mean, I just, I mean, it's only the, scripture that can really give us comfort and yeah so we have a we have a really good friend in wisconsin where we lived for five years and it's been 19 years that we became friends shortly after my son travis passed away and every year he's on his anniversary of his death he still sends a card with bible verses in them you know and so we look up the verses find find great encouragement from it so yeah it it's yeah it's being intentional it's it's talking about it um being and then being proactive consistent consistency as well is is really big um hey because of time here we we have covered a lot and i will really be plugging the book i'll put it on my website and um and just encourage people to to get it uh, any final thoughts? And one thing I, I hope you're comfortable with this you, on page 109. Um, I'd asked you, I think I emailed you and asked if you'd be willing to read those three or four paragraphs. Cause I think they're a great way yeah. to sum up uh, what we're talking about. So you're reading your own book here to us. Our pain may be deep, but it is no deeper than the pain of one who has been wounded by the church or has lost a job they held for 20 plus years. Jesus is faithful in it all. Our pain may be deep, but it is no deeper than the pain of one who is suffering from cancer or going through a horrible divorce. Jesus is faithful in it all. Our pain may be deep, but it is no deeper than the pain of one who loses a spouse or a child who is born with disabilities. The gospel will advance no matter our suffering. Jesus is faithful in it all. Our pain is deep and it cannot be compared to our neighbors because their pain is deep for them and it must be recognized as such. We can compare pain but it does no good and only births pride. Instead, we must serve and love and listen because life is difficult. And bearing one another's burdens does not look like comparing one another's burdens. Good stuff. Well, great uh, great way to wrap up here, Michelle. Thank you so much for telling your story. And I look forward to talking you again, talking with you or in, in the near yeah. future. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at mitchbeforeyouquit.us. And again, go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us. Which each, each podcast, there is a description, a content description. And in this case, you have information on ordering Michelle's book. And there are also pictures of her family there. Uh, So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged.